Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers. And most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. In our final conversation with Dr. Dan McClellan, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit more about the New Testament this time. We're going to talk about where did the wise men come from? Could it have been Iran? We'll also talk a little bit about uh, the rich man and the eye of a needle. Dan's got some really interesting takes on that. And I will ask him if he agrees with Trevin Hatch if the uh, Pharisees were actually friends of Jesus. You won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Let's switch gears just a little bit. Okay. Um, you, you told me that you were teaching a class on the birth of the devil. Is that right? Uh, Satan in the Bible, yeah. Satan in the Bible. Uh, there's a uh, woman, I want to say her name is Kara Cooney. Does that sound right at UCLA? Um, that is uh, an Egyptologist. Yes. Yes, name. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, uh, that I even watched it one time, but I, don't, I haven't watched, I need to watch these things multiple times to maintain them. She's written a book or a thing called The Birth of the Devil. Okay. And basically what she uh, has said is, and hopefully I'm not mischaracterizing her. Kara, I would love to have you on, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to come to L.A. and come talk to you. Uh, (laughs) But basically there was no real devil, especially in the Old Testament, and that the, the birth of the devil came about... Uh, kind of as a reaction to, well, all the Zeus and Moloch and all, Baal and all, everybody else, we're going to consolidate them into a single devil, um, and, that's, and that became Satan, essentially. Would you, what do you think of that argument? I, I think that that is not entirely off base, but, but uh, a little... Uh, I don't think that all of those uh, figures are being consolidated, but I would agree entirely that there is no entity whose name was Satan, who was the leader of the evil Lucifer. spirits. Uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, um, you know, the, the serpent in the Garden of Eden is nowhere identified as Satan in the Hebrew Bible. Lucifer is, is uh, just a caricature of a human king, uh, has nothing to do with Satan. And it's not until Greco-Roman period Judaism... A human king? A human king. So this is the king of Babylon. 
And so he's being... Lucifer. Yeah, so he's being rhetorically kind of, uh, oh, look at you, you tried to um, exalt yourself up above the, the stars of heaven and the throne of God, and now you've fallen to earth. And the, in Hebrew, it's Halel ben Shahar, which would be shining one, son of the dawn, or the planet Venus, the morning star. Uh, and Lucifer was just the Latin name for that deity. And, but it was a reference to the Babylonian king, just saying, oh, look at you, little Lucifer, you, and, and look what happened to you. Um, but, but Lucifer's not the devil or any leader of evil spirits. And then you have, uh, in the Greco-Roman period, you have the Book of Enoch, which renegotiates Genesis 6 and the B'nai Elohim, the children of God, having children with the daughters of humanity. And it uh, reframes those deities as fallen angels. And you start to see references to the, the good angels and the bad angels and their offices and their leadership. And so you see this idea developing of a leader of the evil spirits. And they're called uh, Shemihazah, they're called um, uh, Rashah, they're called uh, Mastema. They have about a dozen different names. and. Uh, it's really around the turn of the era into the first century CE that Satan bubbles to the surface as the name, the, kind of the official name for this leader of evil spirits. And you do have like Baal. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, they're referred to sarcastically as uh, Beelzebub. That's how we kind of traditionally uh, pronounce it. But that is a caricature of their name because the title would have been Baal Zavul which is something we find in the Ugaritic literature, Zavul Baal, which means Prince Baal or Prince Lord. Beelzebub means Lord of Flies. So it's oh, really? kind of, yeah, it's an editorialization on the name. Oh, wow. And then in the New Testament, um, it's actually written correctly in the Greek. It's uh, Baal Zavul in the Greek, but most translations just render Beelzebub because that's how we know that, that figure. Oh, okay. But Jesus talks about Beelzebub or Baal as the leader of evil spirits and as Satan. And so Baal, who was Adonai's competition in the earliest periods, gets literally demonized and becomes the leader of evil spirits by the time of the New Testament. So you do have, uh, as this leader kind of bubbles to the surface, a lot of the figures who are identified as, as prominent representatives of the evil spirits kind of get consolidated within that within that figure. So you get Satan, you get the devil, you get Beelzebub, and a handful of other um, references uh, that turn into this entity named Satan by the time of the New Testament. So I think there's there's a lot of truth to that, and I don't know how much of the way you explained it is, is yeah. uh, accurate. But Kara, <laughs> you're going to come to L.A. this summer. Um, <laughs> Because what kind of what I remember from the video that I watched, um, she had said something about well, we kind of it's kind of a monotheistic argument, you know. The ancient gods, they weren't all good, they weren't all bad. Sometimes they were good, sometimes they were bad. Sometimes they did terrible things, um, and then the the Judo Christian, even Islam, I guess, I conception was, God is the concept of all good, and so. Since we have one good entity, we have to have one evil entity, and so all of the bad characteristics of all these gods 
in a way, it's like we have a monotheistic devil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the ways of accounting for the problem of evil that really becomes a big discussion in Greco-Roman period Judaism. Because if you look in Deutero-Isaiah, Isaiah 45, 7, you have God saying, I make peace and I create evil. I, Adonai, do all of these things. And that's a way to kind of counter some of the dualism that they may have been experiencing, particularly in association with Zoroastrianism. Because in Zoroastrianism, um, which the uh, Judahites in exile probably would have encountered quite a bit. They're still in Iran. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've got uh, Angra Mainyu and Ahura Mazda as the, as the competing entities. And that dualism may have, I think there's still a lot more work to be done on that, but may have kind of contributed to this idea that we can outsource the problem of evil to this bad deity. And then our deity can be entirely because good. Zoroastrianism they predate Christianity by a millennia, a long um, time. Probably, I don't think that far, but probably yeah, five or six hundred years. Okay, because on, they're one of the first monotheistic religions. They talk about them as as monotheistic, but I think more dualistic. Uh, oh, than with a good god and a bad god. Yeah, yeah. So, but. but it's complex. Uh, right. <laughs> well, would, That's what every academic says. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's easier to, um, well, uh, when we draw hard lines and then we get proven wrong, uh, it causes more problems for us. <laughs> if we could say, you know, it's all very blurry, then, then we can't be proven wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I would suggest that Zoroastrianism was... Um, had other deities involved, and, and probably dualism is, is how it's mostly understood by, by scholars. But that may have contributed to this idea that, hey, we can, we can use this guy and we can just outsource all the, the problem of evil to, to him, and, and that can be the bad deity. And then we've already accounted for how they went from good to bad. God created everything evil, but they decided that they were going to um, you know, they fell because either they uh, refused to worship Adam, uh, which is what the life of Adam and Eve says, where Adam is in the image of God, which is the way you refer to a divine image. And so the angels were expected to worship God's image. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. And they end up getting kicked out of heaven and falling. And so they become the demons. They become Satan. So we we can account for how things went from all good to now we've got the bad side, and then we can say they're responsible for all the bad. So it's a way to account for the problem of evil that is probably influenced by things going on in Babylon, maybe uh, Zoroastrianism, uh, maybe Greco-Roman thought as well. There must be an opposition in all things. Well, yeah. (laughs) That old chestnut. (laughs) Yeah, uh, exactly. That's... uh, that's, That reflects this, uh, this rationalization that you know, it's not all a compound in one. It's got to be, uh, there's got to be opposition. I just love how these conversations bring up stuff that I had not anticipated. <laughs> Have you heard, since we're on tangents, here's another tangent, that the wise men were, that visited Jesus, were from the Zoroastrian religion? Yeah. Um, so, so the word that refers to them, uh, magos or magi, right. is most likely refers to uh, astronomers or astrologers, people who were wise because they could read the signs in the heavens. Uh, They were educated in that. And from the East, uh, the Iranian-associated 
wise people would be the most likely candidates. So most likely, my, I I think so. A friend of mine named uh, Eric Van and Eichel just published uh, a book on the Magi, which is uh, uh, like literally four or five months ago, which is a which is a great book uh, that talks about the tradition and and how it developed and how it likely originated. But I think that the author of um, the text probably intended for their audience to evoke that image of these wise, uh, probably Zoroastrian or some other Eastern astrologers who are so tapped into the natural world and what's going on that even they can see the signs are just written all over the place that Jesus is coming. And, that, and it's also a way to kind of denigrate, um, uh, to denigrate Herod by having people from the East who are not even Jewish, and Herod's supposed to be Jewish, coming and saying, we saw the signs in the heavens, we know that the Savior's going to be born, where is he going to be born? And they go, uh, go check and find out when the, where he's going to be, because he doesn't know. Right. And so they go look it up and say, oh, it says it's going to be Bethlehem, so they take off. And so the, uh, the foreigners know more about what's going on than, than even Herod, the, the king who's supposed to be Jewish, uh, knows about what's going on. So... It's uh, it's also a way to kind of thumb the nose at, uh, <laughs> at Herod, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I've even heard that there is a um, tomb or something monument yeah. for the wise men in oh. Iran. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about, I haven't you heard, heard about that. that? No, I've heard no. that there's one in Germany and there's one all over the place, too. But... I, thought, I thought you were going to say Herod, um, because <laughs> there was, we do know where, um, where Herod's... Uh, Oh, kind of uh, yeah. tomb was. Yeah, no, I yeah, that's in Israel. I, I, are you going to visit there? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's on the schedule. It's not on the schedule. I want to come on. I, can you can you get like a lifetime pass to hang out with Daniel? And <laughs> I don't know Israel? if you can afford a lifetime. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be awesome. But yeah, I've heard. They even have named him Balthazar. Oh yeah, the I'm sure there are there are different traditions that have different yeah. names. I've heard there are like three or four different traditions of tombs of the wise men, but I, I've heard one was in Iran. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. All right. Well, I know I need to wrap up. Um, I may have to get you for another interview though, yeah. because I I just love these conversations. <laughs> I could go on forever. But you did one. I, I actually I had seen a um, video that talked about uh, the rich man and the eye of a needle. Uh-huh. And I posted about it on my Gospel Tangents Facebook page, and I got a little pushback from some people that were like, <laughs> no, that's completely wrong. And then you did a TikTok on it. Um, and so can you talk about that parable, the rich yeah. man and the eye of the Well, it's, it's where Jesus says that it's, it's uh, easier for um, uh, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And there are a couple different ways to understand this. But one uh, thing that has uh, become pretty popular these days is to suggest that the eye of the needle was the name of a gate in Jerusalem that was really small. And for a camel to go through, it had to be stripped of all its gear and then shuffle through on its knees, which is just 
ludicrous that <laughs> people would be like, oh yeah, let's use the gate where we have to take everything off of our camels and they're going to shimmy through on their knees because camels are happy to do that. <laughs> and, you know, that's helpful. That Like, that's so ludicrous. There's never been any such gate identified, uh, found, anything like that. That is a tradition that comes from many, many centuries later. But isn't it in our LES manuals? <sighs> <laughs> or at least it has been. Maybe they're well, changing. We, we, there have been a lot of things in, in LES manuals. But, uh, but yeah, the, it's really just hyperbole. It's really just Jesus saying, um, yeah, not happening. Because Rich men are not going to heaven. Because of how uh, corrupt and corrupting wealth is. However, at the very end, the, uh, the disciples say, well, who then can be saved? And, and Jesus says, with God, nothing is impossible. Which kind of leaves the door open a crack, saying, look, it's impossible. But nothing's impossible. Wink. Um, and so another argument is people say, well, the word for camel in Aramaic is really close to the word for rope. So it's really saying for a rope to go through the eye of a needle, which I think is just kind of trying to soften the rhetoric a little bit. But these rereadings are, are attempts for, for people who, you know, like money to try to make it sound like Jesus wasn't being as, as uh, condemnatory toward the wealthy as as uh, the author really has him being. But yeah, that's <laughs> those are some of the ways that people renegotiate the, the scriptures to try to make the ideas fit better with what they would like them to, to be saying. I'll have to uh, do a link to your TikTok video. <laughs> and, and we've also found other Jewish texts that talk about both elephants and camels going through the eye of a needle as a kind of hyperbolic way of saying impossible. So it is, uh, it is something that we find in other texts. So it's most likely exactly what, um, what Jesus was, well, the author is having Jesus say. Okay. <laughs> you just opened the door. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be very careful with the way I say it. <laughs> uh, oh, I got two questions here. I'm yeah. trying to decide which one. Well, here, we'll finish the eye of the needle first. Um, so we're, we're, when we talk about the eye of a needle, we're talking about just a regular needle with a thread yeah. that, and it's Now, impossible. obviously, anciently, their, their needles were a little different. But yeah, the idea is still, that's a tiny little hole. There's no way a camel's going through. Okay, and so we really, we are condemning the rich, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The, the Gospels are, are not very happy with uh, the avarice of, of the wealthy. So, yeah, but again, you have Jesus at the end with the little wink saying... Nothing's impossible. Yeah, with God, all things are possible. So. Right. Okay, so the other question I want to ask, and especially since Trevin's a good friend of yours, <laughs> um, I've gotten some feedback from some, I'm going to say, conservative-type scholars. Trevin, one of the big uh, points that he made in, our, in my interview with him was that Jesus was much more friendly with the Pharisees than tradition has has made do you agree with that i i think that yeah the way that we read the new testament the way the new testament was was also written are these are uh, approaches that are condemning the the pharisees probably more than they needed to be um now as i kind of alluded to in my previous answer the gospel authors are the ones who are, are having Jesus say these things, and they probably had different positions on 
um, on the Pharisees. And for instance, the, uh, John is notorious for being rather Judeophobic, maybe even anti-Semitic. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of danger in talking about the Pharisees as these this wicked group because they're not. And, and Jesus has seems to be friends with with many of these uh, folks. And the Pharisees are where we get rabbinic Judaism from, which is where we get contemporary Judaism from. And so being anti-Pharisee is is pretty problematic from a contemporary anti-Semitic point of view. There's a, a wonderful new book. I cannot find anything. These There it is. Wonderful book uh, that just came out called uh, The Pharisees, which is an edited volume, a collection of papers on uh, the name Pharisee and, and a lot about the history of the Pharisees, their relationship to rabbinic Judaism, their portrayal in the, in the Gospels. Um, that I would highly recommend for anyone wanting to learn more about the Pharisees and why their representation in the New Testament should be taken with a grain of salt and should not be taken as an accurate representation of, of this whole group as the villains. Uh, that's really a later framing and the way that we talk about it today is even more problematic probably than, than the way the New Testament authors went about it. So we should, instead of saying someone's being pharisaical, we should say you're being a Sadducee. <laughs> Uh, I would prefer n uh, n neither of those, but but yeah, the the whole idea of, of using Pharisaical as as uh, this judgment, I I think is a, is problematic, and um, I know at least within the uh, within uh, biblical scholarship, we are really fighting hard against uh, against that. All right, well, cool. But yeah, I, I think there are there are problems with treating the Pharisees as villains, and so it's probably better to just uh, omit that from our lexicon entirely. Well, is there anything that we've missed that uh, you want to share? Any books you're working on, stuff like that? I think I already mentioned the book that I'm that I'm working on. I don't know if that was before we started recording or or after we. Started. Well, go ahead and mention it. Okay, I I am working on a book on. Uh, how the Bible negotiates the representation of God. And so um, negotiating how we think about God is not only something that happens when people are looking in from outside the Bible. The biblical authors themselves are looking back on the traditions that they're inheriting, and they are negotiating with those traditions. And so the conceptualization of God is changing in the Bible as well. And so it's going to be a, a popular... It's going to be a, a book for a popular audience that will uh, discuss how the God of the Bible changes as the Bible progresses and as the needs and the, and the perspectives and the rhetorical goals of the biblical authors change throughout time. And I'll start with our earliest recoverable concepts of deity in the Bible and go down probably to the Trinity, which will be a lot of fun to write about. Wow. I will have to have you on. So, all right. Anything else you want to give a plug for your YouTube or? Oh yeah, you can you can find me on uh, a variety of different social media channels. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as at McClellan M A K L E L A N, and uh, I've also got a Patreon, Patreon.com/McClellan. Now that I'm doing this full time, I actually have to promote myself, which I'm awful at. But, uh, <laughs> but I hate it too. Yeah, but. Uh, but that's where I've got some uh, incentives for uh, for helping to support my my goal of, of being able to uh, 
democratize access to the scholarly study of the Bible and religion and also combat the spread of misinformation about the same. Uh, and it's been wonderful fun being able to do it and being able to interact with all kinds of different folks from all over the spectrum of belief and non-belief and, uh, and all over the place. So. Do you get a lot of pushback from conservatives? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more so, more so on Twitter than uh, than on TikTok. But uh, but yeah, I've got uh, the Desnats are not happy with me. Oh wow! Um, which is how I would prefer things. Um, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> yeah, Twitter's probably where I get most uh, most of my pushback. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, but you know. Um, I think that I don't remember who said it or what exactly they said, but somewhere along the way, somebody said something about um, about measuring somebody by the quality of their enemies, um, and <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. But uh. I just remember one last question: since your name is McClellan, we have to ask if you're related to William McClellan. He spells it different. Yes, I, I don't think I have any relation whatsoever to. Um, to any of the McClellans from church history. When I was in the MTC, I had a lot of people who were like, so you're from Mexico, the colonies? And um, there are evidently McClellans down there as well, but I don't think I'm related, related to any of them, not by name or by blood, um, because my, um, my paternal grandfather's name is, uh, was Wagner, and uh, McClellan is, uh, is uh, a name that I inherited uh, from my father's stepfather. And so uh, I've done a little bit of the, uh, the research on, on that, and it seems to go back to uh, Scotland only a few generations back. So, um, oh, that sounds like a Scottish name. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've, I've done a little bit of research on, the, on some of that history, and it goes back to some fun stuff with uh, William Wallace and... Oh and, really? Uh, yeah, and and our 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 crest is a uh, and motto is a trip, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll, I I don't know much about my uh, my actual uh, paternal. Well, lines. now that you're a family history guy, I am too. So I will be happy to help you, especially <laughs> but, as a pay, repayment or something. Yeah, I I, I would appreciate that. I'm going to need a lot of help. <laughs> I'm good at ancestry.com. My heritage, that sort of stuff. So. Oh yeah, I'm I'm terrible at it all. I just did the 23 and Me, and so uh, I have a slightly better idea of where some of my ancestry is from. Uh, Roots Tech is coming out. It might be yeah. out. This video might be out before or after Roots Tech, but uh, you can get the free online uh, thing, and you can yeah. watch them even if you didn't. If even if this is after, it probably will be. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, Dr. Dan McClellan. Thank you so much for being here on Gospel Tandems. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Dan McClellan. Dan, thank you for hosting me. It was great to get together, and I hope it's not the last time we get together. So I know you got some great classes coming up, so it's going to be a lot of fun. So check them out on TikTok, YouTube, and all the other places. In our next conversation, we're going to really change topics, and we're going to talk to two of Mark Hoffman's cousins. My grandparents, my grandmother is the oldest daughter of post-manifesto polygamists, who are also Mark Hoffman's <laughs> post-manifesto ancestors. And so um, anyway, I was raised on all of the beautiful stories of polygamy, of how you know, our, our righteous ancestors lived polygamy, and I grew up totally believing in polygamy until I started studying it and had my mind blown that polygamy 
I believe, was never ordained of God. But you avoided all the pipe bombs. The scriptures <laughs> universally preach against it. And so, and I felt inspired to share my journey. Thanks for listening to Gospel Tangents. If you'd like to support me, please subscribe at gospeltangents.com or on patreon.com slash gospeltangents, or you can watch entire videos at youtube.com slash gospeltangents. I really can't do this without your support. I'd love to do it full time, and I need a lot more people that are willing to, to help me out. So I'd really appreciate that. So thanks again for listening, and don't forget to check out some of our other videos. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.